Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like, share, and subscribe. And if you're what if you're listening across the Big Blue View Radio Network, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We are just a few days away from the 2023 NFL Draft. We've talked to all kinds of experts here on the uh, on the podcast to uh, to help you guys get uh, you know get some some background, get some insight into how things might go in the in the draft for for the Giants. And, and today we turn to one of Big Blue View's own. Tony Del Genio to uh, to help us uh, us talk about what we might expect from the Giants. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing just fine, Ed. How are you? I'm good. Hey, I wanted to start with uh, with a piece that you did Sunday at Big Blue View that that I found fascinating. Basically, you looked at how the draft could unfold using basically. I think it was four different philosophies. And I'm always fascinated by this because if you read the Big Blue View mailbag, I get questions year after year after year. Well, shouldn't the Giants take, you know, position whatever, wide receiver in round one and then cornerback in round two and center in round three and linebacker in round four and safety in round five? And I tell people over and over and over, the draft doesn't work that way. Yes, you may have certain needs going into the draft, but general managers always say your need has to match value. You don't you don't pick position A just because that might be your biggest need if if there's no value there. And, and I was just fascinated because it's. It's got to be to do it right. It's a it's it's value, need, and positional value as well that all sort of have to match up. And it, to me, it's the it's the the smart teams that consider all of those things when they draft. Yeah, and I'm no different from anyone else out there in fandom who who roots for the Giants or any NFL team. I'm sure uh, when I do a mock draft, I'm definitely thinking about the Giants needs. And so this year when I've been doing mocks, I think about cornerback. I think about wide receiver uh, in particular, because those are two high positional value positions, both of which I feel the Giants need to add someone in. And so when I'm doing a mock in round one at number 25, that's what I'm looking for. And if there's nobody good enough then I look at the at my screen and I say, "Well, what am I going to do now?" <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, right, and so uh, it's it's a natural thing to want to to want to plug holes. And there's no doubt that that general managers are looking to plug holes in the draft. Also, they're aware of where their team's weak and where they want to get better. But I think they're more aware than than most of us are most of us amateurs like me are in in understanding you know what value actually means uh, in a given position in the draft and that's that's where one of the many ways we part company with the with the people who do this for a living absolutely and you know big blue view readers will find on monday morning they will find our annual big board which will go through the first four or five rounds of players and and where uh, where Chris Flum and Nick Filato, who who work together on our big board, where those guys 
see each prospect rated. And, and the reason that I bring it up is it's really easy to look at Daniel Jeremiah's top 150 or whatever website you want to look at, the top 150, and say, well, that's the best player on the board. That should be the guy that we pick. And, and the draft just doesn't work that way. Every single team in the NFL is going to enter Thursday night and Friday and Saturday with a different big board. And that's because they have a different general manager. They have different coaches. They have different schemes. They may be in different places. The Philadelphia Eagles and Kansas City Chiefs, for example, are in a different place than the New York Giants are just in terms of of what their ultimate goals are for 2023. And every team is, is going to look at it differently, have different needs and all of that. So there is no such thing as a consensus big board. And, and, and that, you know, it, I, I say these things year after year after year, and I guess, you know, I'm kind of blue in the face from saying them, I guess. And, and, and actually there's another fascinating thing about this all, which of course, you know, must, must play out in who winds up going to the Super Bowl frequently and who never goes to the Super Bowl and who and is always drafting early. Uh, and that is different general managers and their staffs have different skills in evaluating talent too. And it's not just knowing their needs, but some of them aren't just aren't as good as identifying the crucial things about prospects uh, as others are. And uh you can see that in the in the the professional draft analysts who, who create these big boards, they disagree a, a surprising amount on not all all prospects, but on certain prospects. There's actually a lot of disagreement among the so-called professional draft analysts about about who's worth a first round grade, who probably is not is more of a second or third round guy. And I, well, that's one of the things that I find fascinating in the whole lead up to the draft is reading about how these different people who spend a lot more time than I ever will in my life analyzing uh, prospects, watching film and so on, how they come to such different conclusions about the, the strengths and weaknesses, which strengths are fixable or which, excuse me, weaknesses are fixable and which ones are going to be difficult to fix and so on and so forth. That's one of the many things that makes it such a fascinating process. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Tony, because I answered a mailbag question over the weekend, which basically talked about exactly that. You know, how do teams scout how is it that they come up with such differing opinions on certain players? And the, the example that I used was Quentin Johnston, the, the very polarizing wide receiver from TCU. And you and I have talked about the scouting reports and the big board at 33rd team. Now I have, I have tons of respect for all the work they do at 33rd team. There's, tremendous value in getting opinions, getting information, getting insight from the folks over there, not only Mike Tannenbaum and Joe Banner, but from the scouts over there. Uh, TJ McCrate, who is their lead scout, is a guy with 25 years of experience in the NFL. He's been a college scouting director. He's been a, a player personnel director in the NFL. And what's really interesting when you talk about uh, 
his entire staff, McCrate's entire staff at 33rd team has NFL experience. They have Quentin Johnston ranked as the top wide receiver in the class. And stunningly to me, they have him ranked as the number two overall prospect in the draft. Now, the flip side of that is Matt Waldman, who runs the rookie scouting portfolio, has been doing so for almost 20 years. Matt studies exclusively, if folks don't know, he studies exclusively quarterback and other offensive skill positions, wide receiver, running back, and tight end. That's all he studies. He's been doing it for almost 20 years. NFL teams use his work. Um, you know, I know that his, his rookie scouting portfolio guide probably sits on the desks of a lot of general managers around the NFL. Matt Waldman in a podcast a few weeks ago told me that he'd be perfectly happy as a general manager to draft Quentin Johnston in the third round. <laughs> and the difference is they both see the same thing in terms of his skills and his particular flaw. They just see a different reason for it. You know, McCrate sees concentration drops, and whereas Matt Waldman sees some serious flaws in the technique that Quentin Johnston uses to catch the ball and has doubts that he'll ever be able to fix it. Mm -hmm. and, and it's to me, it's the perfect illustration of how very smart people who are very good at this and know an awful lot about talent. I mean, Matt Waldman has been right about tons of players over the years that the NFL undervalued, you know, but it's just, it's an amazing example of how people can, can look at the same thing and see something completely different. Yeah. So I bought the rookie scouting portfolio this year for the first time ever. And it's just hard to put down because he goes into all kinds of detail about, about all different aspects of, of players. And Quentin Johnson was one of the first guys that I read about because I was so curious as to what he had to say about him. And uh, one of the things that people say about Quentin Johnston is that for a big guy, he doesn't actually make use of his height because he's more of a body catcher than a guy who puts his hands out and grabs the ball, you know, high up, high points the ball and makes use of his size and, and everything to, to do it. And I got a good laugh this morning when I logged into to Big Blue View and saw Chris Flum's analysis of Quentin Johnston. And Chris also brought up the point that, among other things, he's a body catcher. And as, before I even read the article, I saw the, the picture that he chose to put at the top of the article and sure enough it's a picture of quentin johnston making a catch in his body rather than rather than going up with his hands and and getting it and i said oh i know what he's going to say about quentin johnston <laughs> yeah it's you know it, it it is interesting because part of the other thing with with scouting and evaluating and projecting is these guys are all very young players they're not by and large finished prod finished products and projecting what you think they'll become is is part of the deal and it's it's impossible to do in a lot of ways because honestly as much as the nfl tries and as much time as they spend and as many people as they talk to and as much information as they gather about so many of these players 
you can't always tell what is in a guy's heart and what is in a guy's head. And, and evaluators will tell you that they don't miss on talent evaluation. They don't miss on judging measurables and skill sets and all of that. When they miss, it's because the person almost always is not what they thought he was. And I'm guessing that that is a decent part of what the Giants and any any NFL team, not just the Giants, but what what uh, the Giants are looking for when they pick the 30 guys that they decide to bring in for personal visits. I think there may be, I mean, there, I'm sure there are other things they're looking for, and I'm sure they, they do medical evaluations and, and other kinds of testing and things like that, but I'm, but I'm sure they're looking for that intangible component of, of things and how how well they think this guy, how, how much this guy really wants it and how much he's willing to do to correct the things that he's, that he's not doing right in, in order to get there. And, and, you know, the giants have actually had, I think two fascinating experiences with people in, in recent years that are, that are, that are very relevant to this question. And they, they play almost the same position on the giants. One is Andrew Thomas on the left side of the offensive line who came into the league and was terrible his first season, mostly the first half of his first season, but they, they managed to, to finally get corrected the things that he wasn't doing well. And now he's arguably one of the top few uh, left tackles in in the NFL. Now you've got Evan Neal on the right hand side who came in with with such a great pedigree, and he also had an awful time in his first year. And all Giants fans are saying, "Okay, well, can he make the adjustments? Can he correct the things that he was doing wrong?" I don't think anyone doubts his will, his his desire to to be great. From what I I've read, uh, and the question is, can he make those those changes that he needs? to take full advantage of the talent that he has at the NFL level. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the, the example that comes up with giants fans all the time is Eric flowers. <laughs> Speaking okay. of, okay. Speaking of the <laughs> devil. Yes. And you know, one of the things I, for a long time was always critical of was critical of Jerry Reese in, in a lot of ways. I thought, you know, there once upon a time, the giants had an offensive line that was the best in football. And I thought there was a time period from, I think, 2009 when they drafted Will Beattie in the second round to 2013 when they finally drafted Justin Pugh, I think, as the eighth or ninth offensive tackle taken in the first round of that draft where they did not use any day one or day two resources on the offensive line. And you made a point earlier that I think is relevant. I think part of that, was because Jerry and his staff were, A, hyper-focused on skill positions and finding playmakers. You know, they could have, the year they chose Odell Beckham, they could have chosen Aaron Donald, or they could have chosen Zach Martin. They chose the playmaker. I have come to believe, after watching some of the picks that, that were made on the offensive line during Jerry's time, that part of the reason why they didn't op, they didn't draft offensive linemen was because they didn't feel like they had a staff that was really good at identifying and evaluating offensive line play. I yeah, really, and, uh, you know, and I think that that what we're seeing now in the NFL is that offensive and defensive lines are, are pretty important 
to to success in the NFL. I mean, I think people have known that about about the offensive line for a while. As far as the defensive line goes, I think in 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 recent years there's been much more of an emphasis on the edge defenders, and uh, because they they do the the pretty stuff, the the high the you know, the, the high attention uh, stuff of of sacking the quarterback a lot. But there's been a little bit of a renaissance, I believe, in the interior defensive line and how important it is to get that right, too. And I think Giants fans saw that last season when once Nick Williams went down with an injury, they had nobody inside to to stop the run when Dexter Lawrence and and and. Uh, uh, Leonard Williams were were not on the field, either, either one of them. They were missing a guy on the inside to stop the run. And it really hurt the Giants in the second half of the season when that happened. And so, uh, you know, for that reason, I, I it wouldn't shock me if the Giants went defensive tackle very early in this draft, even though it's not necessarily what I'm expecting. But but I think this idea of building both sides of the line is is one that's really gained some currency in the NFL. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Tony, I think that, uh, you know, you were talking about both lines, and, you know, we've talked about the draft in pretty general terms up to this point. I think that's a good point for us to really dive in and sort of look at different scenarios for the Giants and different ways that they can go here in round one. And, uh, you know, we we know, first of all, the Giants have 10 picks. There's seven rounds. Even with those 10 picks, whether they move around the board, they're not going to get everything that they would like to get. They're not going to solve every need. They're not going to fill every hole. And, and even if Joe Shane is the best general manager on the planet, not every pick that he makes is going to hit. It's just not possible for those things to happen. You do the best you can to, you hope need and value, you know, match up as often as possible and, and you build the roster the best you can. And, and before we get into, you know, debating the different ways the Giants can go, the one thing, the other thing I will say is, People get hyper-focused on the upcoming season. The draft is not necessarily about 2023. It's not necessarily about the upcoming season. There are all kinds of factors. What kinds of play, you know, who's on the last year of their contract? Who are you going to have to have a guy ready for, 
you know, in 2024, a guy ready to step in to replace, you know, who, what do you have contract wise coming up the next couple of years? You're building for the long term. So it's not just about 2023. So, and I think, you know, just, and you have any thoughts on, on, on that idea? Cause I do think people get hyper-focused on, we need this to win right now. Yeah. So, so like any Giants fan, I want the Giants to win the Super Bowl this coming season, right? So, yeah, who doesn't, right? And, and uh, but I'm realistic enough to know that that there's still a ways away from that. And I think you could see it last year in their games against the Eagles. There were just a lot of positions at which the Giants are not yet ready to compete with a team like the Eagles. And uh, you don't fix that overnight. And we know that that coming in last season uh, the giants seemed to be pretty devoid of talent and and their coaching staff did an amazing job and i think getting the most out of out of what they had but you reach a limit with that and and eventually you you have to add talent i think they've done a pretty good job in the offseason joe shane and, and his staff in bringing in talented players so i was very excited about darren waller and i think paris campbell was a nice ad bobby mccain is a is a nice ad given that that uh, julian love uh, left uh, uh, Arkeem uh, Nunez Rochas. Uh, it was a nice ad for, for some run stuffing in, in the middle and, and so on. I'm forgetting about a couple of other people. Oh, oh of course, Bobby O'Karake, uh, in at linebacker. I think that's maybe one of their most important acquisitions to, to, to shore up what is maybe the weakest of all positions on the Giants. But you know that there's a lot more of that that needs to be done. And the odds that the Giants will actually compete for a Super Bowl title this year are are very slim. I think they, there's just too much that needs to be added still and too much experience that needs to be had before they can legitimately do that. Once you have a taste of the playoffs like like we had with them last season, of course you want to get back to the playoffs. And and I don't think that's an unreasonable goal to to think of for a fan that they get back to the playoffs and 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 do a decent job. But if you're actually going to go all the way and I think you're looking at at least one more year, if not two years before you can do that. Obviously, if you catch lightning in a bottle, go for it. But but you don't plan, I think, with this year necessarily in mind. No, it's not an all-in to win this year type of, of circumstance. I think that, that Joe Shane has continued to make decisions throughout the offseason. I mean, yes, he picked up Darren Waller. And he paid, you know, fairly big money for Bobby O'Karake. But I think that that he's still in that situation where he has to keep long-term in mind whenever he makes any of these financial decisions. Um, but I do want to talk about, at pick 25, one of the really interesting things was a year ago, Giants had the fifth and the seventh pick. And... In any draft, you can pretty much identify between 15 and 20 players that are pure first-round players, and you can generally identify the players who are going to go in the first five to ten picks. And, I mean, they may not always go in the exact order you expect, but you can generally identify the top ten players. And Joe said last year with seven picks, he wanted to enter the first round of the draft having identified seven players he would be happy to choose at 
and I think he said they ended up with six. So there was, you know, they ended up with six guys who they felt were value in those first seven mm-hmm. picks, and they got two of them. So, and we can argue about whether or not, you know, Evan Neal was the right pick over Charles Cross, but that's, we'll see, we'll see about that in a couple of years. But it's a lot different when you're picking at 25. You can't sit there and identify 25 guys you'd be happy to pick. You know, it's, you, you don't know what the 24 people in front of you are going to do. Mm-hmm. That, that said, you know, you've done a zillion mock drafts on your own and, and, and I've done, I've done a mock draft every Sunday since the end of January. And truth be told, I've probably done five times that many just, just for fun and just to see, you know, what things, what things look like, you know, on different, on using different simulators and different big boards and all of that. Tell me if you agree with me. I think there are four scenarios and four different ways the Giants can go, whether they trade up or trade down. It's wide receiver. It's cornerback. It's interior offensive line, most likely center. Or it's what we'll call outliers, which might be whoever they see as value. If if they don't see value at 25 in cornerback or wide receiver, it could be defensive line. It could be an edge guy, which wouldn't be my favorite pick. It could be safety, Brian branch. It, you know, it could be a guard like, you know, like Osiris Torrance, if they think he's the best value, but you know, it could be, it could be a linebacker. I mean, early in the process, I was giving the giants drew Sanders all the time. And I've, I've heard I've I've heard the name Jack Campbell thrown around, which I don't think I think that's too early for Campbell, but who knows? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, do you agree with me that there are really, you know, four basic scenarios? Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. And I think in my own mind, wide receiver and cornerback in some order are are numbers number one and two uh, most well, most likely for them to seek, not necessarily most likely for them to get because we don't know who's going to go off the board. And and in right. one piece I did about a week ago, uh, you know, the top four uh, wide receivers and cornerbacks were often all off the board by the time we got to, to number 25. So you never know how that's going to go. But I would say, given the availability of, of value players at all four positions, my guess is that cornerback and wide receiver are their first two priorities in in some order. Uh, my gut feeling says wide receiver only because the cornerback class may be somewhat deeper than the wide receiver class at the top this year. That's just a judgment on my part, which may or may not be be true. But barring well, Daniel, those, Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah agrees with you, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, Jeremiah was asked um, during his pre-draft conference call last week with the media uh, someone asked him when it came to the Giants if it was if the choice in round one and two was cornerback and wide receiver which order would he go in and he said exactly that he said he would go wide receiver first because the talent on day two would be deeper at corner Mm -hmm. yeah and I think I would I would feel the same way. So if, so if I'm sitting there in front of my TV on, on Thursday night at around 
I don't know, 10 p.m. or whenever it is that the Giants are going to wind up drafting. Oh, my God, it's so late. <laughs> I know. Gonna be, it's going to be I terrible know. waiting so long, right? But that's, of course, but take, that's what take you Take a want. nap, Tony. Take that's a nap. You, want. You, don't, you don't want your team to be drafting top 10 all the time, right? But no, if I'm sitting you, there sure and we're in a nap. Yeah, and if we and if, and if we get there, you know, and, and I and Jacksonville chooses, and I'm and I see Zay Flowers is still on the board, or Jordan Addison is still on the board, or Deontay Banks is still on the board, then I'm looking at that and I'm saying, oh, okay, yeah, one of those three guys I want them to take, and which one, uh, which one I, I I'd probably opt for Jordan Addison first, maybe, but I'm not sure about that whether I take him over Zay Flowers or not, but I'd I'd probably take both of them over the the cornerback Deontay Banks just because I feel like I, I have a chance of getting someone good in round two not as good as Deontay Banks but 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 good enough yeah I hear you on that you know I think uh we could debate which guy forever you know I'm a Zay Flowers guy but I think Big Blue View listeners and readers know that at this point I I think that Flowers has a terrific skill set for what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka want to do but I could be wrong. Who knows? You know, and, and but I think where it gets really interesting, because I agree with you, I think it's there's that group of four wide receivers, Flowers, Addison, Smith and Jigba, and Quentin Johnston. And there's that group of four corners, Banks, Gonzalez, Porter, and Witherspoon. And it's entirely possible that all eight of those players will be gone in the first 24 picks where it gets really interesting is what happens then for Joe Shane. Do you, you know, is Brian branch there, the safety from Alabama, who's a player that I love. And when you think about value, he's really a slot corner. So you could, you, you could say he's added value because he plays 75% of his snaps in the slot. Do you do you go to the next tier of wide receivers for a Jalen Hyatt? Do you go to the next tier of cornerbacks for Emmanuel Forbes, who which is which is where I, which is a pick that that I would love. I don't care if he's 170 pounds or whatever he whatever he weighed at his pro day. I think he has a terrific skill set, and he has one thing that that. No one else in the Giants secondary has, which is the ability to take the ball away. Yep. Yep. And yeah. I would not be I would not be upset with Emmanuel Forbes at all if those other guys are gone. But but, you know, but it, it gets interesting though when right then in you know in the scenario that those top eight at cornerback and, and wide receiver are gone, and you have someone like Kalijah Cansey or Brian Bercy sitting sitting uh, still there. You know, two guys who who could be very interesting in the interior of the defensive line, and then yeah. and then you know that's the question: Do you go to that next tier of of wide receivers and cornerbacks, or do you or do you go in a different direction with position? And, and I'm 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 uh, con, uh, let's say confident. Okay, that's maybe that's a good word. Confident that both of those guys are going to be very good defensive linemen in the in the NFL, and I'd love to see either it's one a- uh, on the Giants line. And that's a position that I keep coming back to in this particular scenario. Joe Shane has said since day one of the offseason that they need to get better on the defensive line. They need more defensive linemen. And all you have to do 
is look down the road to the Eagles and look at how many people they can run in and out, you know, in their front seven on defense. And you realize it's nice to have Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari on the edge, but we need more on the edge. It's really nice to have Dexter Lawrence and, and Leonard Williams, but they can't be the only quality players that, that the Giants have on the defensive line. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't be upset if I saw that. I think I would be upset if Zay Flowers is sitting there and they and they choose to bypass him because I, I agree with you that I think he has a skill set that would be perfect for what the Giants need. And I feel like the Giants are a wide receiver away from having a a potentially very dangerous offense uh, this year. Uh, so I'd be, I'd be sorry to see them pass up someone like that. But again, in the scenario that, that, that those kind of top eight cornerbacks and wide receivers are gone, I will, I, I won't jump up and down if they go with one of those defensive tackles, but I'll, I'll, I'll be quietly satisfied. I think that they did that. I feel like it was, it was a good use of the first round pick. The one thing, the one thing I will also say about twenty-five is there's a lot of talk about center, and as much as I like Joe Tipman, you know the the consensus is John Michael Schmitz is the number one center, and there's a lot of talk about in this particular scenario taking a center, and I would, I would understand that pick but I'm not sure that I'd be in love with that pick for the simple reason that I, I would understand the need and I would understand that, you know, if you, if you grab Schmitz, you're grabbing a plug and play starter guy that steps right in on your offensive line. But in, you know, you, you keep looking at it and the more mocks you do and the more you look at probabilities there's there's a half a dozen starting centers in this draft, and there's honestly a mixed bag of opinion on what order they should be placed in. I mean, Dane Brugler of, of The Athletic has John Michael Schmitz as a third-round value. There are places that have Joe Tipman as center one in this draft, and, and Ole Oluwatimi of Michigan as as center number two in this draft so to me you don't necessarily have to go and get that center you know on on day one to me you you make a value play there no matter what you think it is and 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 go get your center later yeah and i think you know for giants fans they're so they, they they you know giants fans have have so much angst about the offensive line with good reason Yes, giants, giants did it to them all these years. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's so it's not a it's not it's not ridiculous that people people you know w- you know want the offensive line so much to to be improved and, and really though the question is you know where do you have to draft someone to improve a particular position and and at offensive tackle you know that your chances are much better of getting someone good if you do it in the first round. 
and even in the top half of the first round, your chances are, are a lot better. But in the interior offensive line, you get good guys from all over the draft. And, and since none of those four people that you mentioned, oh, you didn't even, I don't think you even mentioned Luke Whipler. I think he was the third, the third right. uh, you mentioned Oluwatimi, throw in uh, Ricky Stromberg and, and Fried and so on. So you, you've mm-hmm. got maybe half a dozen right. guys that you could, that you could pick. And you don't know whether all of them will be good NFL players or not. And as you say, the fact that so many people looking at these same players disagree about which one is is center one and which one is center number four, and which one's a, a, a first or second round value and which one's a third round value, you know that 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 tells you that the differences probably are not that big, and it's not that easy to project which ones are going to be good. And if you can, all you need is one that's good. Right. And, and I think you, know, you I, don't you don't necessarily have to have to get Jason Kelsey. It's nice if you get I, Jason Kelsey, but you don't have to. <laughs> I think Whipler, for example, is everybody says, well, he's not as strong as Schmitz and he's not as strong as Steve Avila, you know, and, and, and they worry about him getting bull rushed. But I think the reality of it is he's also three years younger. You know, he's three years younger. He's got time. He's got time to to get stronger. And you also get a player with, you know, with three years less mileage on his body. So so there's that factor as well. Yeah, and 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 you mentioned you know the fact that he's that he's three years younger. That's actually a, a unique feature of this draft in general is that because of COVID, we had so many of these players deciding to stay in school an extra year. And some of these some of these guys have like five years of, of college mm-hmm. play on their resume, and they're coming to the NFL at age 24, 25. And that's causing some people to, to downgrade them because they'll already be entering the NFL at a fairly old age i mean it's hard for me to think of 25 as old from where i stand but uh (laughs) (laughs) but you know i I mean people say that about for example hendon hooker at quarterback that he's 25 it's like would you want to draft a 25 year old quarterback or do you want to draft a 21 year old guy and it's like you know what if he's a good quarterback and i have him for for 13 years instead of 15 or 17 years. If he's a good quarterback, he's a good quarterback. I'll take the 13 years of good play. And I think you can say that about, about any of these positions. And the upside is because they have all those years in college, they have more experience and they might turn out to have an easier adjustment to the pros than someone who is younger. Absolutely. It, it's so interesting. We talk so much about so many of these guys and, and what different people see, you know, one of the, things that I did in my on Sunday when I did my my mock draft which turned out to be mock drafts plural because I I just couldn't after doing so many of these I just couldn't settle on one exact scenario I wound up doing a mock with trades and a mock without trades and I think there was there was quite a bit of angst when I traded up in the third round for tank Dell. (laughs) And what was interesting about that was I took the, I made the 89th pick and then I traded back into the third round to take tank Dell. And Dell of course is five foot eight, 163 pounds. 
and people were like, "How can you trade up for Tank Dell?" And I, I actually, I actually think I'm one in particular. I, I was, I was gonna say, I think you were one of them. But I, I, I feel vindicated. I feel vindicated because I wake up on Sunday morning, and I read Matt Miller of ESPN his seven round mock draft. He gave the Giants Tank Dell in the third round, mm-hmm. pretty much exactly as I did. And his explanation was that basically the same thing that I see. I don't care about how big he is. There isn't a wide receiver in this class that has a better skill set for Brian Dable and Mike Kafka than Tank Dell. Yeah, and I so, think that ultimately, you know, in fairness, ultimately that's that's the question is how do how do do Shane and Dable and Kafka see a particular player fitting into the offense uh, that they want to run? Uh, you know, but 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 the other the other point that that you raise about about what you did is is just the whole idea of trading up uh, rather than than trading down, and I think that's going to be one of the more fascinating things about this draft. Uh, last year, we saw Shane trade down to get extra picks, and the question is, will he trade down again? this year or or is he looking to trade up with 10 picks and to unload some of those 10 picks in order to to get someone that he feels is is better to to go up and and grab and and then that comes back to the your original question about what the giants are going to do at number 25 what if they what if you know all the guys they really like are not there at 25 at all are they going to are they going to say well i'm not drafting a center at number 25 but but such and such team comes to me with an offer to drop down to number 35 and i'll give them uh, something to do that maybe i'll drop to number 35 and take my center at number 35 and maybe the asset that he asked for at number 35 is not an extra pick in this year's draft maybe it's a nice pick in the 2024 draft where the Giants currently only have their their standard seven picks, and if he wants to to build draft equity for the future, he might actually be looking in this draft to to use trades in order to acquire picks next year, which is not as satisfying as getting the, the extra player this year, but maybe is a is a good strategy. So that's yet another thing that he could do, and whether he does some of that, whether he does the, the, the regular trade down like he did last year, or whether he does trade ups, that's just going to be another one of the fascinating things to see in this draft. Absolutely, and anyone that's been following the mock drafts that I've done, depending on who's available at 25, I'm a big fan of the trade down, especially, and maybe I'm overvaluing the fifth year option to be honest with you, but especially if you can entice one of those teams below you take, take Dallas at 26 and take the Eagles out of the equation. But if Kansas city wants to come up from 31 or Buffalo wants to come up from 27 and I don't think this is going to happen. I think somebody's going to jump before the Giants do. But what if what if Bijan Robinson is sitting there at 25? Is to me he's perfect for the Buffalo Bills who who are in that win now mode, but they need somebody to hand the football to so that Josh Allen doesn't have to carry their running attack. What if, you know, what if what if the Saints or the Bengals want to come up, you know, and, and grab somebody? I'm a big fan of, you know, if if you're 
Corners and wide receivers aren't there. Move down a couple spots, collect another asset, maybe as you said, you know, an asset in this draft and maybe one in the 2024 draft. Again, with the idea that you're this is not always just about 2023. And then you take all of those assets and you go hunting on day two. If there's a guy that you want, if you want to move up and make sure you get your the center that you want, you go get that guy. If there's a defensive tackle you want to make sure you get on day two, use your assets and go get that guy. So I'm a big I'm a big fan of of doing it that way, and uh, and getting as many picks and as much value in the top hundred selections as you can. Yeah, and you know, and you said you said forget about the Eagles and forget about the Cowboys as far as uh, uh, you know trading down, but I'm always I'm always reminding myself that the Eagles kind of kickstarted their renaissance by by trading up with Dallas. So, or I'm sorry, yeah, by, yeah, by trading up with Dallas to to get Devontae Smith, they had uh, jumping past the Giants to do that. Yeah, but, so I say but, never say never about any of this. No, you, you you never you never say never. But but honestly, Tony, if it's for Bijan Robinson, do you want to be the New York Giants general manager that hands Bijan Robinson to the Eagles? No, I don't. I don't. So I mean, I, I I would have a hard time making any kind of a trade with the Eagles. Yeah, I, I would too. But honestly, I mean, we kid about that. If it's, I mean, you can't take that off the board. I mean, Dave Gettleman used to say, yeah, he would make trades with Howie Roseman if the situation was right. You can't, you know, the Yankees and the Mets have made trades with each other. The Yankees mm-hmm. and the Red Sox have made trades with each other. You do it if it's the right thing to do. So, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, but it's obviously not, uh, it's obviously not not plan a so uh so tony i think we've uh, i think we've gone on long enough here i think we've covered most of of what we need to cover in in round one um is there anything uh, anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about before we uh, before we wrap it up no and i think not not really other than the fact that that i think this is just going to be a a, a frustrating but amazing experience for Giants fans trying to figure out what's going to happen uh, on these next few days coming coming up next weekend. I think it's a little different from it's a lot different from from last year, where as you say, there was a list of six or seven players, and you knew the Giants were going to get. Last year it was it, yeah, it was just a matter of okay, here's this small list of players, which ones are going to sit there. Yeah. It, and I don't know about you, but before we wrap it up, I, I I have to say this. I've written it. I just find Joe Shane so refreshing sometimes because he'll say things that are a little bit more honest and a little bit more revealing than than you would expect sometimes from a lot of general managers. You know, we, we talk about the, the Evan Neal pick a year ago. He was asked on draft night, why'd you pick Evan Neal? Because Iki Aquano was already gone. <laughs> and what what general manager is, is ever mm-hmm. says, well, mm-hmm. there's another player I liked better, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but you know, but he was gone. Mm-hmm. You know, what general manager says that? What general manager says, Oh, I haven't talked to Saquon Barkley in three weeks. <laughs> you know, and basically 
whatever. We'll talk when we talk, you know, but I mean, he's, he's refreshingly honest and refreshingly candid about some of that. And and I get a kick out of it. And, and, and underlying it all, I think for giants fans, he shows every indication of being very competent. Right. And so you, you have, you have some, some level of, 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 of confidence that, that he knows what he's doing. And, and I mean, how can you not after what they did, you know, in, in one season, that wasn't just an accident. Right. right. And so, and, and so, you know, whatever he decides, I'll say, well, even if it's something I don't like, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a chance. Sure. You know, I, I trust him. <laughs> and the, re- the reality of it is, as we talked about, there are so many directions that the giants could go in and so many variables before they get on the clock that, that, it's really unpredictable. It's just, it's a lot different place for the giants to be in and giants fans to be in than they've been in, in quite a while. Yeah. And I'll take that over the alternative. Absolutely. Hey, Tony, thank you very, very much. As always, you and I will be uh, talking again here on the podcast on, on Friday morning after the giants make their first round pick. So folks, please look forward to that. Check out all of our draft coverage at Big Blue View. Check out our our draft hub page where we've been placing profiles and our big board is live as of Monday morning. We've got profiles. We've got mock drafts. We've got all kinds of analysis for you. Anything we can think of to post in regards to to the Giants in the draft, we're we're posting. So there's really no reason for you to go anywhere else, and and hopefully you won't. So uh, Giants fans, thank you as always for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.